0: I'm going to put the spotlight totally and absolutely on you. Could you imagine Borei Olam says such words? You, the guy that sits and learns Torah, If you're going to engage and involve in something so lofty, so incredible as the learning of Torah... Then you have all my attention. The pasuk, "Ufaniti alechem," I will turn to you. etchem," I will make you plentiful. the briti etchem," and I'll hold my covenant. and I'll give you all the blessings in the world. You know, there's an incredible Rashi. Rashi comes and tells us, "Ufaniti alechem." I'm going to turn towards you. Says Rashi, you know what this means? Says Rashi, Hashem tells us that He's going to turn away from all the stuff that Bore Olam Kivyachol is busy with, and He's going to focus, and He's going to put the spotlight and focus only on you to bless you. You know, if I was talking here about a CEO of a billion dollar company, where there he's sitting in front of his desk, piled up with paperwork. And sure enough, you take a look at his appointment book, and it's filled to the max. And he buzzes his secretary. Mildred, hold all my calls. Cancel all my appointments. This is important. I'm putting all my emphasis just on this one guy. Yeah, people... People get overwhelmed. That would make sense. Turning away from all his busyness and involvements, and focusing just on this one incredibly important matter. But Hashem, Hashem doesn't get overwhelmed. There's nothing beyond bore olam. So what does Rashi mean when he says, you know, bore olam is telling you? I'm going to turn away Mikol Asakai from all my involvements, and I'm going to focus just on you, the guy that's learning Torah. Hashem is busy? Then He needs to turn away from His busyness just to focus on you? What does that mean? Tonight we're going to really hit this point. Because this point is the essence of the Ben-Torah. I want you to open your hearts I want you to hear this there is a very famous Gimara in Mesechet Avodah Zara Davbet Amud Bet Gimara tells us what is going to take place Ba'acharit hayyamin when Mashiach comes right when Mashiach comes Gimara tells us that the Goyim of the world all the nations they're going to come in front of Hashem and they're going to say Hashem okay it's time. We're here to get our reward. We were good. We did what we were supposed to do. And now we want reward. Hashem says, Oh Goim, you're coming to ask for reward? Okay. The Maya What did you do? What did you do to deserve reward? You know what the Goyim answers? They say, Boream, we'll tell you what we did. Harbesh vakim takinu. We made many highways. takinu. <speaking in Hebrew> we made many bridges. takinu. <speaking in Hebrew> we made many bathhouses. houses. The Asinu. And everything that we did, everything that we built, Rak <speaking in> Bishvil. <Hebrew> We did everything. Only so that the Jewish people, please stop. Only so the Jewish people should learn Torah. Do you hear this? Do you hear the Chutzpah, the goyi? They actually could tell Bore Olam that the skyscrapers in New York City were built, the bridges were built, everything they'd done, was only that the Jewish people should learn Torah. Do you buy that? Well, bore Olam doesn't. Hashem answers back to them, Shotim Sheba Olam. Goyim, you're the biggest fools in the world. Komash asitem. Everything that you've done, rak l'atzmichem la asitem. You did it only for your own will, your own good, for your own gain. Don't tell me you did that for Am Yisrael to learn Torah. You know, you you read over this Gemara and you ask yourself, God called the Goyim fools? You know what Hashem should have said? He should have told them, You guys are a bunch of liars. You claim that everything in the world that you built and did was only for the Jewish people to learn Torah? It's a lie. You did it for yourself. You didn't do it for the Jewish people. So why does God tell them that they're fools? Why doesn't He say it straight? You're liars. And the answer, my friends, is the theme of tonight. The answer is, they're not liars. Matter of fact, the goyim, they're right. However, little did they know that everything that they did in this world had a connection somehow with the purpose for Am Israel to learn Torah. That's right. You see that Verizano bridge? When Verrazano built it, in his mind he was thinking one thing, easy pass. He was thinking one thing: the tolls, the revenue, the money that it's gonna bring in. Yeah, that's what the Goim were thinking at the time that they built the bridges. But in truth, the reason why there is a Verizano bridge today is so that daily there's a few rabbis coming from Lakewood, New Jersey every day that has to come to Brooklyn to teach Torah, and they need a bridge to get here. So Boreolam put the thought in the mind of Verizano. Put the thought in the mind of Goim. Build a bridge where they, they were thinking about the money. But little did they know that they were really building it for the purpose of a Jew, to learn and teach Torah. Everything that exists in this world has to be connected somehow to Am Yisrael and the Torah. Otherwise, it cannot exist. That's right. Even that farmer out in Idaho, who he thinks his life's work is the potatoes that he grazes. But little does he know that his farm... His profession and the potatoes that he grows is only that one day, a Jewish man somewhere in the world who is learning Torah can have a benefit from those potatoes. Otherwise, it can't exist. This is the first words of the Torah, the pasuk, "Bereshit bara Elokim et hashamayim Says Rashi, "Bereshit b'shvil haTorah." The purpose for the existence of the whole world was that there should be a Jewish people to learn Torah. My friends, that's a recipe. If you want to know the recipe of the creation and the existence of the world, the world must have Torah being learnt and a Jewish people learning it. And says Reb Chaim Velazh, If there will be one second in the world that there isn't Torah being learnt, the world will turn back to tohu vavohu. The world would cease to exist. One second. If there's even one second in the world that there's somebody, somewhere, learning Torah, then the world could not continue to exist. And says Rebbe Chaim this is the concept, why Hashem, when He created the world, He made the world with different time zones. So that the yeshivot in America, when they're closing the lights at night and closing up the Bet Medrash, the yeshivot in Israel are first waking up and starting to learn. So that every second in this world, there'll be somebody, some Jew, somewhere in the world, learning Torah, So that the world may continue to exist. Did you hear that? Like oxygen is to a human being, Torah is to the world. We can't exist without oxygen. The world cannot exist without Torah. Not even for one split second. I want to share with you a great story. And I want you to hear this. And I want it to go into your bones. You heard of the Vilna Gaon. The great Vilna Gaon. You know the Vilna Gaon was so tremendous. Vilna Gaon was able to learn with rabbis that lived thousands of years before him. Vilna Gaon learned with Rabbi Shimon by Yochai. How did that take place? I wish I knew. Vilna Gaon learned with the Arizal HaKadosh. Vilna Gaon was able to learn with the giants, with the rabbis. Vilna Gaon learned with Eliyahu Hanavi. We're talking about the greatest, the giant of his generation. The Vilna Gaon. Do you know that one time? The Vilna Gaon was giving a Shi'ur Torah. He was teaching in the Yeshiva, and the Bet Midrash in Vilna. And he was middle of giving a Shi'ur Torah. And in walked a teenage boy. When the Vilna Gaon saw this teenager, the Vilna Gaon stands straight up, giving honor to this young teenage boy. People saw that the Gadol Hador stood up for a teenager. They wanted to get to the bottom of this. Who is this kid? What's so special about him? That Vilna Gaon is standing up in his honor. So after the class, the Shamosh came up to Vilna Gaon and said, Arav, please. Everyone's asking the question. Who was that teenager? What was so special that you stood up for him? Vilna Gaon says, come, I'll show you. Vilna Gaon turns to the young man, the young boy. And he says to him, tell me. Last night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, what were you doing? Tell everybody here, I want them to hear. And the boy, on the spot, he gets a little bit nervous. He turns and he says, well... Last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I wasn't able to sleep. So Gawain says, okay, so tell the people, what did you do? Well, I was twisting and turning and I couldn't sleep. So I decided, you know what, I can't sleep anyways. I got out of my bed and I took out a Gemara and I started learning. Now, how long did you learn? I learned for about 30 minutes. Okay, what did you do after that? After that, I finally started getting a little bit tired. So I closed the Gemara and after 30 minutes of learning I went back to bed and I went to sleep. The Gaon looked the boy dead in the eye and he said to him, do you know that one second out of your 30 minutes of learning you were the only one in the entire world learning Torah? That means that for one second You, by yourself, held up the entire world. If not for you, the world would not be in existence. That's why I stood up for this teenage boy. We don't have a comprehension. We don't understand the greatness and the power behind our taken for granted learning of Torah. You want to see Torah and its beauty? Do you remember the Sium Hashas? Where there we had 25, 30,000 people coming together in Madison Square Garden. Wow, what a scene. How could anybody forget the Arbit that night? A 30,000 crowd Arbit. Do you remember what that Amen Yeheshem Er Abba sounded like? The heavens were shaking. Do you remember the singing and the dancing? That the crowd was singing and dancing with their hearts. The moment that the siyum of the entire Shas, of the seven year cycle of Daf Yomi, finally was done. Wow, what a moment. The Torah is its glory. How sweet it is. How sweet it is. How amazing it is to learn Torah. One could hold up the whole world. Who knows? In your lifetime's learning, you might have had one of those seconds. You might have been the only guy learning and holding up the entire creation, the existence of the world through your Torah. What an opportunity. What an unbelievable moment. The whole world evolving around you. (laughs) Ufaniti alechem, says Hashem. I'm going to turn and focus just on you. Now we understand what that means. That means, says Borei I am ready to turn the entire focus of the whole world just on you. Just on the guy that's sitting and learning Torah. I'm willing to have the entire world and all its world events evolve Just around you. Just around your needs. Because you together, with each person in Am Yisrael, it's your Torah that's holding up the world. I'd like to share with you an unbelievable story. A story that I said it over years ago. I'd like you to hear it. There are many interesting details different versions to the story, I'm going to give it over to you, the way I heard it from Eretz Israel. A young Yerushalmi guy, young, 17, 18 years old, who's learning in yeshiva in Israel, in Yerushalayim and he's a great ma'mid, he's someone who's learning day and night. This young Yerushalmi bachur, one day, he starts to feel terrible cramping, he starts feeling that something, something's wrong. So he comes home early. His parents, they see that he's coming home early. That's not typical. This boy learns day and night. So they said, what's the matter? He says, I'm not feeling well. So they brought him to the doctor to get him checked out. After extensive check, the doctor realizes that this boy is having kidney failure. At such a young age, it's totally what you wouldn't call or expect from a typical 18 year old boy. But nonetheless, the doctor sends him to the hospital. The hospital does even more extensive checking. And they confirmed that the doctor was right. This young 18-year-old, Yerushalmi Bakur has kidney failure. And he desperately needs a kidney transplant. Well, Israel, although Israel is unbelievably advanced in so many areas, especially in medicine, Technology, they're a world leader. But in the area of kidney transplant, they suggested to the boy there would be a better place to go to get that kidney transplant, especially him being a young boy, a young guy. He needs a specialty type of kidney transplant. They told him that the kidney transplant headquarters of Europe happens to be Belgium. And they were pushing him It's worth it. Go to Belgium. And there you'll get the kidney transplant. There they have a variety of kidneys. And one that would work even from a young boy like you. He was very nervous. What does a young Yerushalmi boy know about Europe? What does he know about Belgium? Well, it got even worse. Because it was there that the doctor did tell this young Yerushalmi guy. He said, listen, I have to give you a fair warning. Belgium. They have the largest bank of kidneys. They're the best bet for you, 18 years old, to get one that will match. There's one problem. Belgium has a rule. It's actually a law. That first, they give the available kidneys to all European Union citizens. Only those people who are citizens of Europe. And then if there's anything else left, then they'll give it to what they call outsiders. Being an Israeli citizen, you're not recognized as a citizen of the EU. And because of that, you might have to really wait a long time until they finally give you a kidney that may match. Well, what is he supposed to do? He leaves the hospital. He comes back to his Rosh HaYeshiva and the Yeshiva. And he says, Rebbe, I just found out that I need a kidney transplant. I just found out that the kidney that I need is a specialty kidney One for a younger body. And I also found out that the only place that can help me is Belgium. And Belgium has this law that they give kidneys only to European Union citizens first. And I'm an Israeli citizen. Rebbe, what should I do? I can go to Belgium. I can sit there. I can wait forever. And who knows if I'll even live through the process of waiting. The Rosh Hayushiva looked at the Talmud and he told him, he says, I want to tell you. You, my friend, you're a Ben Torah. You, my friend, you don't just learn. You live your learning. You're the real Ben Torah. I want to explain to you that the world evolves around you. You don't evolve around the world. You go. And Bezat Hashem, you'll see that Hashem is going to show you that He evolves His focus of the entire world, even around One guy learning Torah. And with those words and that blessing, this boy picked himself up from Jerusalem, bought a ticket and went out to Belgium. He comes to Belgium with his father. They rented an apartment not too far away from the hospital. And there, the next day, he comes into the hospital. They checked him out and they said, Yes, there's no question. You seriously need a kidney transplant. There's only one problem, my friend, as they told him. And that is that there's a law that we have to give the available kidneys to European citizens first. And you have to understand something in the medical world. A kidney only has a 24-hour shelf life. After 24 hours, when the kidney is already outside of the body, after 24 hours, it cannot be used for a transplant anymore. So they turned to this Yerushalmi boy and they said to him, listen, we'll take your phone number, stay right next to the hospital and we'll find a match and if nobody else in Europe takes it, we'll call you right away and like this you'll be able to get over here within the 24 hours and we'll be able to do the transplant. But your chances are very nil. They had to tell it him the way it is. And sure enough, He went back to his apartment. He checked into a kolel in Belgium. And he continued learning there in Belgium. And he was waiting for the call. A few days passed. And prepare yourselves for what Hashem did to the world. Literally over one night. Do you all remember not too long ago? We were listening on the news. About this volcanic ash. That came out of Iceland and began to float over the airspace of Europe. And because of this volcanic ash, which was very dangerous when it's floating in the air, for those jet Boeing 747s, to get any of that volcanic ash on the inside of their engines, it could throw off the engine, and it could have a terrible result. Because of that, I'm sure you guys remember, all the, air, all the airplanes, literally, and all the airports in Europe, all flights were grounded. You couldn't get a flight nowhere. At that time, all the planes were grounded and no one can get, not even, from one city or one country in Europe to the next. That very next day, the hospital had on hand some 25 fresh Kidneys for transplant. Quickly they looked at their list. They had a list of hundreds of names. Of people all over Europe. Waiting for the phone call. As European citizens. To come and get that transplant. There was only one problem. All these people all over Europe. Now that the planes were grounded. There was no way for them to come to Belgium. There was no way for them to make it. There was no flights. The whole world shut down. Quickly they zipped right down the list. And the only guy left was this Yerushalmi boy who was there locally in Belgium waiting, waiting for a miracle. Little did he know that Hashem shut down the entire world for him. The hospital called this Yerushalmi boy and told him, we don't know how to tell you this, but we got 25 kidneys for you to choose from and we have no one else we can give it to. Because all the other people, they're stuck in airports all over Europe. And no one can get a flight. Because of the volcanic ash that's in the air. And we must give it to you. Because after 24 hours, the kidney no longer can be used for a transplant. It only has a 24-hour shelf life. Come right away! We have 24, 25 different kidneys to give you. This boy came into the hospital. And literally... Over a few days, they gave him a perfect kidney. The kidney took and it took well. And after those few days, the volcanic ash disappeared from the air. The airports of Europe were reopened and everybody else were able to come in once this Ben Torah got his kidney. B'Shvil HaTorah U Bishwil Yisrael Nikra Reshit the Ben Torah has to know that the whole world was created for a person to learn Torah. With that in mind, let's bring back to the understanding of this week's parasha. I will turn the entire focus of the world just to you. Because it's you, Am Am Yisrael. With your Torah that the world evolves around. And it's you that I put the entire focus on. I want to tell you. And I want this to sink in well. The privilege that we have to learn Torah. And when I say the privilege, I mean the privilege. Think about this for a moment. Women, they have no obligation to learn Torah. They have no mitzvah. To learn Torah. But yet, women do say the birachot on Torah in the morning. They say all the blessings that we call birkatat Torah. One second. If they don't have a mitzvah to learn, why are they making the blessings? It's a good question. I'd like to ask a second question. By every mitzvah, how many blessings are there? One. You go sheik lulav and etrog, shofar, Every mitzvah we make one blessing. How come when it comes to Torah we make three blessings every morning? Al divrei Torah veharavna and asher mikol Torah to. Why does this mitzvah have three blessings when every other mitzvah only has one? My friends, says the great Reb Chaim Brisker, Zechit Sadik LeBracha, as we've learned together. The blessing that you make on Torah is not for the mitzvah, but rather you're making a blessing on the privilege to learn Torah. The privilege to be connected to Torah. The privilege to be connected to something so great and so lofty that it holds up the entire world. Even women are connected to Torah in their special way. They send their husbands out to learn. They send their children out to yeshivot. And because they're connected to something so special, they were also privileged. And that's why they make the blessings in the morning on the Torah. And because it's a privilege, the blessings we make is a thank you. It's a birkat hashevach. Oh, when you're saying thank you to Hashem... Once you're saying thank you, you can say as much thank yous as you want. And that's why this has many thank you blessings. It's a privilege to learn. You have a hand in holding up the whole world. It's something that Hashem says, Learn Torah and you have all my attention and all the blessings of this week's parashah. What a privilege. There was a story, a miracle that happened to me personally, that in the last 13 years of speaking in this community, I've never said over. I didn't say it over because I was a little embarrassed by some part of this story. But tonight I want to say it. And tonight I want you to hear it. Because tonight I want you to feel privileged. <laughs> That we were the lucky ones to be connected to the great Torah Dosha, The ability to carry the world. Listen to this story. When I was... And I asked Bore Olam to give me the words because being that I never said this over before I don't know how it's going to come out. But nonetheless Hashem Sifatai Tiftach Open your hearts and hear this. Come back with me to Israel, to Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago for a good reason. Because guys in my class still think that I'm 31, 32. I want to leave it that way. Come back with me many years ago to Eretz Yisrael, to Yeshivat Itri, in Bet Safafa Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh. and there in Yeshiva, I was learning for my second year. And it happened to have been at that time that my father who was working for Blue Cross Blue Shield for over 15 years the entire division was closed that year. His division. And my father was out of a job. And it was at that point that he was going on his own for the first time to open an accounting firm. But you know when people are between jobs financially things at home are tough. And I didn't have the heart to call up my father from Israel and say, Abba, I need money. My heart went out to him. I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to be a pressure financially on the difficult times I knew he was going through. And I'm not joking to you what I'm about to tell you now. I started doing my laundry by hand. Because I didn't want to ask him for money for the cleaners that really racked up a bill there in Israel. And I'll tell you, when you're living in an Israeli yeshiva when I tell you I did laundry by hand they had no washing machines they had no dryers at least not then. and I was washing the clothes in the sinks and I'll never forget I used to take my shirts and hang it up in my room on hangers dripping wet and then I would take a stender just like this and an electric blow heater and I would plug it into the wall the electric blow heater blew hot air As a heater And I would kind of prop it up That it would shift back and forth Blowing up against my shirts So that they could be dry At least for Shabbat And I went weeks Wearing damp, wet shirts As not to bother my father financially For the money I needed Shabbat I had a white, clean, warm shirt And I did this not for a week or two This was going on for almost a year until it came to the point where I needed to find some way to make a little money in Israel so that I can carry my expenses even as a Bachur, especially an American Bachur. I didn't know this, but learning in an Israeli yeshiva, Thursday nights in Israeli yeshivot, I walked into supper and there was a plate of corn niblets at the middle of the table, and I thought that was one portion and they were going to bring back the rest. So I pulled the plate towards me and I started eating it. And all the Israeli guys almost jumped on me to kill me. My That was for the whole table. I was like, as an American, I couldn't believe that. And that was it. That was the whole supper. Thursday nights with green peppers. I needed some money. So I decided I'm going to go back to my old trade. I'm going to figure out a way to make some money. Before I got serious in learning, I had a certain, I'm looking the right way to say this, a certain hobby. It was really a passion, but I'll just say a certain hobby where I got into the martial arts for many, many years. And to me, Bruce Lee was, wow. And I spent many years in the martial arts and I felt to myself, you know what? I'm here in Israel Baruch Hashem I'm learning I'm learning day and night I need to make some money So you know what I'll go out to Harnoff The Shkuna Where the Americans live And I'll teach self-defense I'll teach the martial arts And in Israel then It was a very hot item And I'll make good money 50 shekel a kid I'll have 20 kids A thousand shekel a month Wow As a bachur, A thousand shekel You're a king that includes the shawamis. Well, you're living great. I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. But you know, I started thinking, I said to myself, you know, I came to Israel to get away from all that stuff. I came to Israel to sit down to learn Yomam Balayla with one love, with one interest, with one passion, not to be distracted with anything else. I'm going to go back to that stuff. I didn't know what to do, but on the other hand, I needed the money. I decided that afternoon I'm going to go to the kotel. I'm going to pray my heart out to bore olam. The bore olam, please answer me. Give me a direction. Do you want me to go start giving these classes or not? Well, Rabbi, I made my way into Geulah Me'asharim. I'm standing, waiting for the number one bus. The number one bus comes. I get on the bus and I see that in back of the number one bus there was a big guy with a psychedelic yellow shirt. You couldn't miss this guy if you wanted to. But not just because of the yellow psychedelic shirt. He had a camera that was hanging around his neck. He had a little funny yarmulke on his head. One that looked like it only came on only minutes earlier. And he was sitting there, a typical, what you would call, typical Tamim American tourist. The guys that in the eyes of the Israelis, he walks around as if he had a sign on his back that says, Hello, I'm an American tourist, please rip me off. And he was sitting there with a go-lucky smile in the back of the bus. And I figured, okay. I went to the back of the bus, that's the only place where there were seats. And I sat down the road, not too far away from him. Somehow or other, his eye caught my eye. So he smiles to me and he says to me, you live here in Israel or are you just visiting? I said, how did you know I was an American? He says, well, I thought the way you dressed it's a little bit different than the regular Israelis. So I came over and I sat down next to him. I said, actually I'm learning here in Israel. Oh, you're learning? Wow. Don't ever stop learning. I looked at it, what? That was the last thing I expected this guy to say. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, listen, I want to tell you. I grew up in Romania. He was a Romanian Jew. I grew up in Romania, and he says, at that time, Judaism, yeshivot, didn't exist. He says, but my father, a very special religious man, He was even nicknamed the rabbi of the area where we grew up in Romania. And my father told me, he says, here in Romania, there's no way for you to grow up to be a ben Torah, a religious Jew. I'm going to put together all the money I can get my hands on, and I'm going to send you, my son, I'm going to send you to the United States. There, Yahadut, Judaism, is beginning to grow. I heard it's starting to form yeshivot. I'm going to send you there. I want you to go to the yeshiva there in the Lower East Side. There's a great rabbi there, Ramosha Feinstein. I want you to learn by him. At least my son will grow up to be a Ben Torah, not here in Romania. I'm willing to let you go, even if I never see you again, just so my son could be a Ben Torah. And he says, My father put every nickel he had together and he sent me off. At the age of 17, on a ship, on a boat, to the United States. In those years, he tells me, in those years, I believe it was in the 50s. He says, in those years, the boat, the ship did not go directly to the United States. It was too long of a voyage. But it stopped off at different countries. He says, we were at sea for about a few days. And then the captain announced, we're stopping off at a certain city en route to the United States. He says, we stopped off at that city. Captain told us we're going to be here for one day. And then everybody has to come back on the boat, back on the ship, and we're going to resume the journey to the United States. He says, I got off the boat. I'm walking around by the docks in this city that, I've never seen this place before. I hardly spoke the language, but I had a day. To go around and do whatever I wanted. He says, so I went where everybody went. He says, that evening I heard cheering, voices, screaming, coming from a little bar off the side of the docks. So I figured that's where everyone's going, that's where I'll hang out. He says, I walked into this place, I've never seen a place like this before. Everybody was sitting around, smoking, drinking liquor, talking, laughing, dancing. And he says, but that's not what caught my eye. In the back of the room, there was a crowd of men. And they were standing in a circle. And they were all screaming and cheering and yelling. And they were holding papers and they were throwing money. I said, wow, what is going on in the back of that place? He says, I walked to the back. And he says, I was peeking over shoulders. And I never saw this before. There were two guys standing in the middle of this circle of men. And they were beating each other's heads out. They were, I don't know what they were doing. It looked like boxing, and it looked like wrestling, and they were fighting and fighting until one guy knocked the other guy out. And when one guy fell, half of the crowd threw their papers in the air, and the other half of the crowd were jumping up and down, celebrating. He says, I do not know what was going on. I never saw this before. He says, I, I finally started to figure it out as the night went on. Every time there was a new challenger that walked into the middle of that circle. And people were placing bets of money. Who's going to win the next fight? Who's going to win the next fight? And I saw the amount of money they were throwing around. I couldn't believe it. He says, until suddenly, I don't know how this happened. Somebody came behind me and pushed me straight into the middle of the circle. And he says, I I, I turned around like, this is a mistake. But once you step in the middle of that circle, there's no going back. you got to fight the champion. And he says, I was standing there. I'm looking at the crowd. This guy is about a head taller than me. He says, I was a strong kid. I was fast, but I wasn't a professional fighter. He says, but what was I supposed to do? This guy was coming at me to kill me. He says, at that minute, all I can do, I defended myself. And he says, by, by, by some chance, I landed a few punches, and I knocked the guy out. And at that minute, the whole crowd picked me up on their shoulders and threw money at me. And they started screaming, a new champion, a new champion. And he says, I felt great. And suddenly, in a matter of about two minutes, I made more money that my father back at home in Romania made in a whole year. I said to myself, wow, this is great. You know, I, I can make a lot of money doing this. He says, they put me back down. Another guy walked into the middle. Now I was getting into it. Now I started to fight. And I beat the next guy and the next guy. And I was making money. And wow, was that a night. The next day. When it came time for the ship to leave on its route to the United States, I said to myself, are you joking? I'm not going back on the ship. I'll stick around here for another week. Just win a few more fights. I'll make so much money. Then I'll go on to the United States with all this money. I'll send tickets to my father. I'll send tickets to my family. I'm the rich one now in the family. Why should I leave when things are going so good? I'll just make a few dollars. What's the big deal? And he says, the ship left, and he remained. And he was good. Matter of fact, they nicknamed him the Romanian Bulldog. I'll never forget the way he told it to me. And he won, and won, and won. And they were throwing money at him. And this went on for a few months. Until one day, the same way, cut it out, The same way it happened to him. A young guy walks into the bar for the first time. A little bit faster. A little bit quicker. And now this young guy stepped into the middle. And he says, this guy was so fast. I couldn't even see his fist flying. And before I knew it, I found myself on my back. And I was out cold. And I lost. And at that moment, I started to lose and lose and lose. And I lost all the money. I barely had just enough money left to get back on a ship and to make it to my destination, to the United States. But at that point already, I didn't pray for a few months. I didn't keep Shabbat anymore for a few months. I didn't put on tefillin anymore for a few months. I wasn't really much religious anymore. The fame, the glory took me away from my religion. I got back onto a ship and I made it to the United States. I settled down in the Lower East Side, but not in Ramosha Feinstein's Yeshiva. I started working for a local guy. I was a young, strong guy. So I was able to do deliveries. And I met an Italian girl. A wonderful young lady. An American girl. And we got married. And we bought a home. And I started living out my life until the telegram came. And one morning I wake up to a telegram, and it says, "Yassul." That's right, that's what his name (laughs) Yasul! I'm sending you a telegram from Romania. This is your father. I finally put enough money together to come to the United States to visit you. I miss my Ben Torah. I miss my Tamid Chacham, the one I gave everything for. Send my regards to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He said, Uli, what am I going to do now? My father's going to show up. No Ramosha Feinstein. No Bentora. A wife, an Italian girl. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, why did I stop? Why did I do that? Why did I stay? Why didn't I just go on and do what I should have? Oh, yeah, I lost it all. Well... A week later, his father pulls into the docks in front of Lady Liberty. And there, his son, standing, waving to his father, thinking, Ah, daddy will understand, he'll understand, he'll understand. I'll tell him the whole story, he'll understand. The father comes out, off the boat, comes walking down, after not seeing his son for so many years. And he walks right by his son. And his son says, "Uh, Dad, it's me, it's Yossel. And he turns around and he looks at him. And then he looks at the shiksa that's standing next to him. And he says, you can't be my yosel. My yosel is a ben Torah. My yosel, tamil my yosel is a rabbi. And Ramosha finds things yeshiva. Who are you? Who are you? And then the father takes a blink and a second look. And he says, the way the Ashkenazim say it, in himmel. that is my yosel. Yes, what happened to you? What happened to you? You look like a guy. What happened to you? Who is that standing next to you? When the father heard what happened, the father took his clothing and ripped his clothing, and his father began to say Kaddish on his son. The father had no place to stay, so the father reluctantly had to stay by his son, but he wouldn't talk to him, he wouldn't say a word. And Shabbat came. And that Shabbat, Yasul, for the first time, in honor of his father, after not keeping Shabbat for so many years, after that pit stop, on his way to the United States, he decided that Friday night, he's going to go to Shul with his father. And he walked his father to Shul. And his father wouldn't say a word. On the way home from Shul, in the Lower East Side, you got to hear this, as they were walking by one of the alleyways, three goyim jumped out of the alleyway and jumped onto Yussel and his father to mug them. Yosel was the Romanian bulldog. You don't jump a professional Brock boxer. In a matter of minutes, Yosel made mincemeat out of these three guys. And there, Yosel picks his father up off the floor after they pushed him down. And he says, Tate! no." You see, it was Omin Shamaim that I was meant to go to that pit stop. That I was meant to become a professional boxer. Just because one day I can save your life, they would have killed you. The father looks up at his son and he says to him, Yosela, I would have been happy to die right here on this spot, knowing that my son was a Talmid Chacham. Then he looked me in the eyes and he told me, you have a privilege. Don't waste it for nothing. Don't make the mistake that I made. You're learning in Israel. You're learning Torah. You're so lucky. You're the luckiest kid in the world. Don't leave it for nothing. And I was like, wow. And it was that minute that the bus pulled up to the hotel and we both got off the bus. And then I had to snap out of it. And I caught myself and I said, Okay, one second. I'm here by the hotel again to pray for what? Right. Do I go give karate classes? Oh my God. Wait one second. Wow. Okay, Borel, I got it. You hit it to me before I even made it to the wall. I got to go thank also. He has no idea what he just did for me. I ran down to the hotel and I'm looking for him. You can't miss him. He was huge. You can't miss him. Psychedelic yellow shirt with the camera hanging off the draw strap. I looked for him by the hotel, nowhere. I looked for him by the old city, nowhere. I looked for him on the outside, on the outskirts of the hotel where the Arabs sold their wares, thinking maybe a tourist would go down there, nowhere. He literally in a moment's time vanished into thin air. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Hashem. You saved me and you held me with the privilege to learn your Torah. Thank you. And it's a privilege. And how sweet it is. And how lucky we are. We have that privilege. Who knows one second of your learning could be the second that you're the only guy learning in the whole world and you're holding up the whole world. Who knows? It's your Torah, your learning, that's going to bring Borei alam's focus to you, your family, to Am Yisrael, and all the Birachot. But more than that, the privilege that we have not to let it go, to learn our hearts out, to learn it, to live it, and to love it.